Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's great conversation is with Gary Disher. Gary Disher is a prolific writer across genres with more than 50 novels to his name. He's won the German Crime Prize, the Ned Kelly Award, and in 2018, he was awarded the Ned Kelly Lifetime Achievement. And today, Gary is joining me to discuss his latest novel, Peace. I'm Andrew Popel, and every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. We record on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, and I want to acknowledge the traditional custodians and their ongoing connection to the land. Final Draft explores the best of Australia's books, writing, and literary culture, as featured on 2SER. Now, the Great Conversations podcast is a chance to hear more of these discussions. Paul Hirschhausen is the cop in Tiverton. It's a small town in farming country south of the Flinders Ranges in South Australia. He's only been there a year, but in the lead up to Christmas, he wants what all cops want over the silly season, a little bit of peace. Of course, there's some petty crime, like a ute driving through the front door of the pub, but okay, otherwise, so far so peaceful. Then on his rounds one morning, Hirsch encounters a distressed horse and follows it home to find a horrific scene. As the investigation begins, a mysterious call comes through from Sydney, and Hirsch has to do a routine welfare check on a family outside of town. A family no one seems to know existed. Join me as we discover Gary Dish's Peace. Now I'm joined in the studio by Gary Disher. Gary is a prolific writer across genres. He's won the German Crime Prize several times, the Ned Kelly Award again several times, and in 2018 he was awarded the Ned Kelly Lifetime Achievement Award. He has a new book out. That's of course why he's here to speak with me. Pleasure to uh, welcome you to Final Draft, Gary. Thanks, Andrew. Now, peace. Peace brings us back with uh, Constable Paul Hirschhausen, and he wants what anyone wants around Christmas time, a little bit of peace. As the one man in the one-man police station in Tiverton, South Australia, he knows he'll have to deal with drunks and petty crime, but hopefully, hopefully not much more. Then one morning on his rounds, he discovers a terrified and injured horse shrinking from further harm. He follows it home, only only to discover a far more horrific sight. Now, Gary, you've tied my hands here somewhat. Throughout the opening half of the book, about, about to sort of page 180, you weave personalities, events, crimes um, that Hirsch ultimately must unravel. And whilst I loved reading it as a reader, as an interviewer, I find it really hard to navigate without spoiling too much of the mystery, mm-hmm. such as the, the intricacy that you've, you've woven here. So I, I wanted to throw it to you. How do you talk about peace? And indeed, how do you talk about any of your mysteries in a way that maintains the suspense? Yes, I saw a a printed review of the piece earlier today in which one of the key crimes is given away, which I think would be a spoiler for readers. So Mm. I'll try to navigate the shoals of this conversation so that I don't give too much away. Uh, There's a rule of thumb in crime fiction that uh, there has to be a murder in the first page or the first chapter, but often my crime crime novels don't do that, that... Mm. um, I'm trying to establish a sense of a place, of a community, uh, of ca- of the characters, um, t- because I think a, a, a vicious crime too early in the book is a distraction. Mm. Uh, I'm writing about people and place, and then gradually uh, some of the horrifying, uh, more horrifying crimes occur. As a country cop, he's dealing with some graffiti, he's dealing with some kids who steal a ute, um, 
uh, and he uh, is a social there's a welfare function in his job too he's looking out for elderly widows or a widow with a schizophrenic son that sort of thing um, and a lot of those things are woven through all through the book and resonate later in the book but uh, in the meantime I'm giving the reader a sense of a of a of a guy and a place and then things as then I start to ramp up the tension. Mm. You really actually, for me, sort of brought up what, this idea of what what does it mean for a crime to be serious? Because for some of what we might describe as petty crimes that we see in peace, of course, there are huge ramifications for for younger offenders and what it might mean for their life, what it might, might mean for their life in a small town. And of course, I've mentioned partly one of the, the, the larger crimes that occurs and you have a have a question that's posed rhetorically. Um, I believe I, I did. I took the time to jot it down. It was um, it was about who who cares about a couple of mutilated horses, and um, the you follow Hirsch could answer that about ninety nine percent of the population. Now I was reading these words around the same time there was you know a current affair type revelation around what was happening to. Racehorses Race past their yeah. past their racing life, yeah. and the whole country was was having the same revelation that you give us. Um, do you find as you as you approach these issues that crimes mean different things to different people, despite the fact that there are undoubtedly severe crimes? I, I have struck that just in daily life, mm-hmm. I think. But in my view, I was trying to understand where Hirsch was coming from. Mm-hmm. And he is trying to foresee what his senior officers might say, mm. that it's, uh, it, it doesn't matter as much as some other sorts of crimes. But he knew that this particular incident was going to attract national media. Mm. So. Hirsch also has to make some judgment calls throughout peace, and there are ramifications for that. But within a small town, of course, things can't be cut and dried. These are people he sees every day. They're not just they're not just uh, plaintiffs or witnesses or defendants. Can you talk to me uh, about notions of law, of right, and of justice that you play out in peace? I it, it all should be seen through the eyes of Hirsch. I think I think he's a, a fair man. He tries to be fair. He'll uh, come on come in hard against. Uh, obviously serious criminals, but if it's a couple of kids who steal a ute, mm. uh, he'll try to negotiate a, 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 a reprimand of some kind that's mm. going to mean something to them. It has to be done formally in the town hall, blah, blah, blah. So, But he's a, he's a fair man, really. And uh, But if some of his senior officers knew the approach he took, he'd probably be wrapped over the knuckles. But that's not the kind of guy he is. Mm. He's a bit put upon, you know. He's he muddles through. He's he's put upon by senior officers and so on. But uh, ultimately, he's a fair guy. He gives people a fair go. In in a world where it sort of seems like we we yell at each other across the internet, and you can't you can't get dirty uh, because there is no there is no sort of sense of morality anymore it's only what you can stick on the other person do you find Hirsch is a bit of a unique beast in that sense that he will take these chances no I don't think so I think probably there would be other police officers like him who Mm. who would be inclined to give someone a fair go Mm. but they'd have to be aware that that someone wasn't looking over their shoulder Mm. so let's get a sense of of Hirsch. This is your second outing with him. He's not a local to Tiverton, and throughout peace, he's searching for 
I don't know, something in, in the community, a place for himself, not only as a cop, but maybe some of the of what he's lost when he was banished from the Metropolitan Police. What attracts you to a familiar character? What brings you back to someone like Hirsch? I think their state of mind. Uh, he's a guy I could probably spend time with. Hmm. Maybe he's, he's a, a, a part of me. Hmm. Um, he... He treats things seriously, but at the same time, the world is a bit of a joke. If something bad goes wrong, he's likely to say, well, you have to laugh, don't you, mm. uh, rather than uh, uh, get too angst-ridden about it. Mm. So that that side of him appealed to me. And I like this notion of a junior guy. Mm. Like a lot of uh, crime heroes are police inspectors. They're, they're senior in some way. They, uh, they're the boss of a team of detectives or whatever mm. it might be, but I'm... I wanted to uh, follow the life of an underling, if you like. What does that mean then? Because uh, being quite young, often the older action hero that you mentioned before also has a lot of experience to lean on. And and I I suppose it allows some authors to bring up, I I might call them skills of convenience, you know, we can you can put a backstory in where he was able to spend a few years learning the exact fighting technique that he needed in that scene, and yeah. I guess you can't rely that as much on that for a younger character. No, but he does have a bit of a past. He mm-hmm. he was part of a detective, a disgraced suburban detective mm-hmm. squad in at suburban Adelaide. In in the back, the backstory is that mm-hmm. the squad was disbanded for uh, corrupt practices and some people, some of the officers were sacked, one went to jail, Hirsch was demoted to uniform and sent to a one officer police station in the bush. Um, but he's he's still young, but he has got some detective skills. He's, mm. he's, he's got a little bit of experience, a few, maybe five years if you like. Mm. But, uh. Now, after I finished Peace, I started on your 1996 novel, The Sunken Road. It's an extraordinary novel. Um, and I couldn't help but notice some of the parallels with peace. We're in familiar terrain. I am interested, though, particularly stylistically, in how you build on memory in The Sunken Road. For Anna, who is, is your protagonist in The Sunken Road, events seem to layer organically in ways that only, only a mind can fathom as she struggles to identify where she fits in a community where she has so many, I guess, even names that she can wear. And it recalled me to Hirsch, who was very much, very much the opposite, as he strives to come to become a part of the Tiverton community, but he's thwarted by his newness, his lack of that shared experience, that shared history. Can you tell me a little bit about building that sense of community as a writer, even as a person, how you, how you feel community yourself, and how belonging can be entwined with memory? Hmm. <laughs> That's a pose of that question. Um, it's familiarity with place is part of it because mm. this is the wheat and wool country of the mid-north of South Australia. It's halfway between Adelaide and, and the Flinders Ranges mm. and it's where I grew up. I still have family there. Yeah. I say to my friends, I'm going home for Christmas. I use the word home, but I left there when I was 17, but mm. I still call it home. So I have that fami- familiarity with farm life, small town life. Um, my uh, The kids I went to school with or my brother and my sister and my parents – they're, um, they were part of a community. They played mm. sport in the community or went to dances or whatever it might be. So mm. I've always had that, that strong sense of what a rural community is, is like. And for someone like Anna in, in The Sunken Road, um, she's a bit. She's part of it. She's grew, she grew up there. She's got mm. long roots there, but um, 
she's a bit of a rebel, uh, a bit on the outer. Uh, but uh, and uh, so I wanted that was how I explored her character as someone who rubs up against the other people uh, that she's grown up with and familiar with. Whereas mm. Hirsch, he's if he rubs up against them, it's by accident. He'd rather shake their hand and put her arm around their shoulder and mm. say, "How are you going?" I was very interested in in Anna's story how that sense of community seemed to bind her in a way that she she chafed against. Yeah. And there almost seemed to be a longing for Hirsch that he, if he might have that, yeah. doors might be opened in a particular way and maybe he wasn't as aware of the ways that it might bind him because he's, he's not there yet. <laughs> he's not there yet, but uh, by the second novel piece, mm. uh, the one that's just come out, uh, he's been there a year. Mm. Um, he belongs to the tennis club. And they've roped him into being the the town Father Christmas. He has to ride up, ride up on a horse one evening and distribute presents to the town and farm kids. And he's never ridden a horse before, and he feels ridiculous. But he's making an effort at least, mm-hmm. um, and he's um, in a love relationship with a, a local widow and her daughter, and, and uh, so he's making an effort. But he still doesn't feel that it's quite home yet, and he knows it perhaps never will feel like it. And I feel like we're talking about this at the expense of, of a horrific crime. It's a detective novel, but this is what I found so fascinating. I I could have travelled with Hirsch even if he didn't have to solve a crime. And there was even a moment right at the end of the book that, of course, we're only going to talk in vague terms, but uh, apologies are being made that link to the very beginning of the story. Mm. And I'm very conscious as, you know, when you read a book you can feel between your fingers how much there is to go. And I thought, Gary, you, you're only giving yourself a couple of pages to do this here. And you, it felt like you were starting a story. And I really wanted to know more about that. Um, that might just be a comment. I don't really have a question associated with that. But the way I travelled with the characters, you left me thinking I wanted more of, of that story as much as you'd solved, or we'd, well, we'd almost solved the crime at that point. <laughs> Well, I, I think perhaps with all of the novels I write and the short stories earlier, um, that things are never neatly wrapped up at the end because mm. life is not, not like that either. Mm. But uh, I leave it in the, to suggest an ongoing story that this part of it's been resolved, but now there's a changed circumstances for everybody and life has to go on. So there's going to be a new story starting. Mm. That's how I like to end stuff. You did. You made me want another one. Um, Now, a puzzle. Um, You introduce, uh, I'm going to call it a strange artifact, into the story of peace in the form of Mrs. Keir's journal. Hirsch discovers this book. It's tucked away in a forgotten drawer, and he he, uh, appropriates it in, I'm going to put in scare quotes there, for further investigation. Um, He reads it throughout. And the diary tells of the early days of white settlement in the area, and it relates stories that seem to Hirsch to reveal a local massacre uh, of the indigenous population, as well as there's sort of a, a general mistrust f- from the local community held against the traditional owners. And I guess they're, you know, you have to look at this through different historical lenses, but they perceive incursions on their land, and I'm sure mm-hmm. both perspectives can be taken in there. In your placement of the journal entries, though, where Hirsch is reading him and where they occur in the story. I thought I saw something of a lens, though, being held up to the current population, the people that see themselves as locals today. Mm. Um, 
Where, if you if you can answer this without revealing too much, where do Mrs. Keir's journal fit for you in the story of peace? Oh, I'll I'll give a broader answer to start mm-hmm. with. Uh, I trained as an uh, historian. I've got a master's mm-hmm. in Australian history, um, so I've done a lot of research over the years in in state archives and the yeah. War Memorial and other places like that. Uh, when I wrote the Sunken Road. Um, I drew on old journals and old newspapers for that and I I even copy some of those uh, references from colonial settler uh, era diaries and so on. Uh, But I had a strong sense of history early in my life because one day I can remember my father, who was a wheat farmer, taking me to a a lonely creek bank Mm. and showing me a stone grave that had been uh, carved by a shepherd whose son had died, who drowned in the creek in the 1870s. And I, I've just simply put that in the novel because mm. uh, Hirsch is showing the mm. same, same stone. So mm. from an early age, I had this sense of of a living history that uh, mm. these things happened in the past and all these people are dead, including the original inhabitants. But in a sense, they were still living yeah. there. So I wanted to give a sense of uh, the past is never past, it's still present, if mm. you like. Um, but I'm also interested in the in the notion of dispossession, yeah. uh, that the original inhabitants were dispossessed. But I think there's a sense now too of in, of rural communities being dispossessed, of young people going to live and work in the cities, mm. um, of big agri companies taking over the small family farm, that sort of thing, and towns dying, and uh, some of the industries of a town like. Um, a lot of little towns now now no longer have banks or whatever it might be. So, I mean, it's partly that sense of dispossession. That's mm. an ongoing thing. I'm speaking with Gary Disher and we are discussing his new novel, Peace. There are a wealth of events that we can't talk about because it's a mystery. There are a wealth of characters to meet in this novel. But I thought, let's end with a bang on a bit of a genre question. Uh, because Peace, it isn't exactly a mystery in the golden age detective sense. Um, but I found that while you didn't, you know, have us ruminating on patterns of cigarette ash that are going to, you know, point in the direction of the true killer, you did invite us to look through Hirsch's eyes and see the psychologies of those around him. And and through that, through what you gave me, I, I'm I'm happy to say I picked at least one one of the uh, one of the crims. Are you inviting the reader in some way to solve the crime by exploring these various psychologies and characterizations. I think I probably am, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't mind if you've solved it. Um, and in fact, in some of my other crime novels, the reader uh, knows who the bad guy is ahead of the main character mm-hmm. uh, because I take the, the multi, multi-viewpoint novels, my Wyatt novels, for example, mm-hmm. and my Peninsula police procedurals, I take the reader into the mind of the bad guy. So I am interested in criminal personality or rather of what might cause an ordinary person to go off the rails, what Mm. kind of twisted thinking, what sense of grievance drives them. I'm interested in that uh, sort of criminal personality, what makes a person tick. Uh, I can't do that with Hirsch because I don't take the reader anywhere else but in Hirsch's mind. So, Mm. So we see Hirsch making his own minds up about what might be driving someone. So, so I'm certainly interested in that. Now, I know you mentioned before a sense that it's it's good to leave a little bit unsaid 
at the end of the novel, but we've talked so much about community. What do you think, or do you think Hirsch had any different reflections? Did he rethink ideas of community at the end of Peace? Um, Did anything about Tiverton change for him? I, I, yeah, I think he. Th- there would be a sense that he has been fooled at one level. There's a couple mm. of people in the in the in the district in the town who have kept the wool pulled over his eyes, and uh, so it's going to make him a little bit more careful, a bit more wary. I think yeah. from now on. I am speaking with Gary Dishow. We are we are very uh, circumlocutiously talking about peace. It is an absolutely fantastic mystery. It is an absolutely fantastic read, and it's set. I don't. Did we mention that it's set around Christmas? So it is absolutely perfect to pick up. Something about reading crime at Christmas. Something about being somewhere where awful things are happen to make you feel a little bit more safe and snug uh, in yourself. I, I I love what you've done here, Gary, and thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about it. Thanks, Andrew. That's it for this great conversation with Gary Disher. Gary's new novel is Peace, and it's out now through text. Great Conversations is recorded on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation at two SER's Broadway studios in Sydney, Australia. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. To keep up with the latest in books, writing, and literary culture, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just look for at Final Draft 2SER. You can click subscribe in your podcast app. It means you'll get a new Great Conversation every week. My name is Andrew Popel. There will be more great conversations next week. Until then, happy reading.